Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Oh, we want to take a second look at this and see what he means by all that. And it's quite simple, really. He says, walk in the spirit, walk in the light, put on the armor of light, live in light of his return. But when he gives us opportunity like this, don't let it go by. Don't be casual and indifferent. Every time you do that, it becomes easier the next time. And it's like a spiritual drug. And you become less and less capable, it seems, of waking up. But if today the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, let me encourage you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. A little folding of the hands to rest. Just take it easy. And suddenly, your want will come like an armed man. Your poverty will come as a robber. And life teaches us that. But not just in keeping your garden up or your kitchen or your workbench, I hate to say, because <laughs> I think about how my workbench looks with just a little of that attitude, just to take it easy, just set things there, just let it go to pot, and soon, you know. And uh, he said, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And when I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. But he wants us to receive more instruction than just to be a neat neck or just to learn how to keep our yard up or to keep our daytimer in order, you know. He wants us to see the deeper issues of life. Think spiritually when you think of the sluggard. <laughs> ah, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Just take it easy. Hit this snooze button again. And soon, your spiritual poverty will be coming in like an armed robber. Your spiritual vitality will be gone. And, you know, I get my workbench to the point where I can't find the hammer. <laughs> the most basic tool. It takes me 30 minutes of cleanup before I can get to the hammer. And, you know, the scripture, Jeremiah says, is not my word like a hammer which shatters a rock. I mean, it's one of our main tools. It is the tool, and it? it's the sword of the Spirit. But some Christian lives are so laid back, so spiritually lethargic, maybe yours. You've become so drowsy, and it was completely overgrown with thistles, the guy said as he looked at the field of the sluggard. Its surface was covered with nettles. You let your garden go, just, just enjoy it this year. Don't work, just let it go. And watch what happens. Its stone wall was broken down as a mess. And some Christians, it'd take them 30 minutes of organization just to find their Bible, so to speak. And you say, well, Scott, are you equating this Christian life to just your Bible? No, I'm talking about God's Word. How often do you just find a good craftsman, he can get, grab the hammer, put it back down, get it back, grab it again. He uses it whenever he needs it. But Christians, I know some who... Boy, they, they marvel. How do you find that Bible verse? Where is it? I never saw that. And just kind of, when they're exposed to a hammer, it's like they've never seen the sword of the Spirit before because they've become spiritually lethargic and drowsy. Wake up, he says. This do knowing the time. It's time to wake up. Maybe you've been coasting in your Christian life. Maybe you've been a spiritual sluggard. 
He says, wake up, wake up. If you just let anything go, your devotional life, training of your children, your kitchen, your workbench, I don't care what it is. If you just fold your hands, get a little more sleep, just take it easy, it goes downhill. And he says here regarding the most important issue of life, it's already time for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation, look at that, is nearer to us than when we believed. What's he mean by that? He means just this. Salvation, by the way, is a general term for deliverance. And the Bible speaks of three aspects of salvation. And the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are justified, you're delivered from the penalty of sin. But it's an ongoing process to be delivered from the power of sin. Sanctification. Justification happens. Sanctification is happening. I use the theological terms, you know. And one day soon, we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. Glorification. And he says, he's talking about that third one here in the last part of verse 11. Salvation is now nearer to us than when we... What's that? What salvation? What deliverance is he talking about? He's talking about when Jesus Christ returns and I'm delivered from the very presence of sin. The coming of Christ is nearer to us now than the day you believed, he says. Wake up. It's coming. He's coming. That day of deliverance. How should we live in the meantime? Jesus said it's like a man on a journey. And he went away. How did they operate while he was gone? That's what he's asking. And I'll tell you, uh, by the way, just look over, turn over to 1 John 3 for just a second. 1 John 3, it's good to look one right in the eye. I love this little exhortation in chapter 3 when he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. Amazing love, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amazing love, how can it be that we should be called children of God? And we are. Now, the world doesn't recognize that, but we are. The world doesn't recognize Him. But we're children of God. Now, look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. That's justification. That's deliverance in the past. We are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We're not where we ought to be, that's for sure. You look at our lives and they're not a picture, a perfect picture of what a child of God ought to look like. We know, he goes on though, look at verse 2, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. There you've got the three tenses of salvation in one verse. We are children of God. It doesn't look like it perfectly yet. God's got a lot of rough edges in my life to work with and work on. But one day I'm going to be like Him because I'm going to see Him as He is. Now, everyone who has this hope, look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Wake up, He says. Purify yourself. Live accordingly. It's time to wake up. Know the time. Salvation is near. And by the way, I speak to Christians. Paul's writing to Christians. This latter half of Romans is written to believers. 
but I'll just throw it in. Wake up, non-Christian. Salvation is not nearer to you than when you believed. Judgment is nearer to you than when you last didn't believe. When you heard a sermon several months ago and you knew you should respond, but you didn't, or when that friend at work told you of Jesus Christ, but you just said, "Mm, not now, later. Or, I don't know if I buy that. Aren't the scientists saying something about, how can you believe the Bible anyway? Haven't we proven it wrong? Or whatever excuse you use, whatever smokescreen you use to put God off, salvation is not near, judgment is. We're 2,000 years closer than when Paul wrote this. And I guarantee you, if Paul was saying to his generation, wake up, know the time, the Lord's coming, how much more today when we see all of history having done exactly what Jesus said these last 2,000 years, and as we see things becoming more frequent and more intense, just like he said the birth pangs would become, wake up. Do this knowing the time. It's already time for you to awake, for salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night, look at verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day is at hand. This age is one long night of sin and rebellion. And he said, the night is almost gone. The day's at hand. Don't forget, this isn't an endless night. This night, this age of rebellion and sin, where it seems as if God is away on leave and not coming back, I'm coming back, he said. I will return, and he will. The day is at hand. That term he uses there is the same one he uses in Hebrews 10 when he said, don't forsake the assembling yourself together as the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, drawing near. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Be of sober mind and sound judgment for the purpose of prayer because the end of all things is at hand, 1 Peter 4, 7 says. The end of all things, same term, is at hand. He's coming soon. The day is near. Listen to Ephesians 5 along that same line. And, you know, it's interesting to me how much Scripture speaks this way. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, sometimes, and don't let this confuse you, when he says the night is almost over, the day's at hand. He's using, obviously, a metaphor. He's using a picture. And the Scripture will flop it around. Jesus said, we got to work while it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. He just uses simple, everyday illustrations to get to the point. And in the sense of that, today is the day of salvation. It's the day of opportunity. Night is coming, eternal night, for those outside Christ. Think of it. Night is coming when no man can work. He said in John 9, verse 4, so he said, we got to work. He said, walk in the light while the light is among you. He said in John chapter 12, he is the light of the world. And while he was here, he, he exhorted people to use that day of opportunity. So the Bible uses different analogies, and it'll swap the metaphor right around. But don't, don't let that 
bother you or don't let you miss the obvious point. We do the same thing in the way we speak. But the obvious intent of what he's saying is so clear. I mean, listen to what he said in Mark. Take heed. Keep on the alert, for you don't know when the appointed time is. It's like a man away on a journey. And in those days, when a guy went on a journey, he didn't say, I'll be back in uh, three weeks or three months. I mean, he might have said that. But if he didn't know, he wouldn't just say, I'll be in touch. I'll stay in touch. You can call me on the cell phone or fax me or, nah. He went away and you didn't, he maybe intended to get back next summer, but you don't know for sure. And there's no way to let him know. There's no telegraph even. I mean, you know, we have to go back a couple hundred years to think what it was like. In fact, there was no mail system. So you'd just be away and you'd just not know for sure. It's like when a man went away on a journey and upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Now, Jesus is saying it is like this when he said, I'm leaving and I've given you your task and I'm telling you, would like to be a guy that gives his tasks to the people. And he says, now stay on the alert. Therefore, he said, therefore, be on the alert. For you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And then he added this thought. Mark 13, the last verse, 37. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Be on the alert. It's striking how often Jesus said this and how often the Bible says this. This do, knowing the time, that it's already the hour for you to awaken. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Oh, he says, wake up. Have you grown cold and indifferent as a Christian? Was there a time when you would have said, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and you would have lived in light of his return? And would you have to say that as you step back, and even as I tell you to step back, and really take a look at your life. When you step back and really get the picture, it's like my workbench. <laughs> you say, how did I get so cluttered up with all this stuff? Why am I not living? And it's hard for you to even, you, you just really, you're, you're sleepy. You'd just rather hit the drowse button again. You know, it's overwhelming almost. And you just stay in that state of, does that describe you? Wake up, he says. Know the time. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. He's coming back. And you say, oh, I've known that, though, for 17 years. I came to Christ in 1984 or whatever. Listen, that means you're 17 years closer to the return of the Lord Jesus. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Be on the alert. And when he gives us opportunity, every time we open this book and he says these things, we have an opportunity to respond. And he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Oh, we want to take a second look at this and see what he means by all that. 
And it's quite simple, really. He says, walk in the Spirit, walk in the light, put on the armor of light, live in light of His return. But when He gives us opportunity like this, don't let it go by. Don't be casual and indifferent. Every time you do that, it becomes easier the next time. And it's like a spiritual drug, and you become less and less capable, it seems, of waking up. But if today the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, let me encourage you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Resolve to live in light of His return. Salvation is nearer to you than when you believed. And let me turn that around because the Bible says there's always this condition till He gets back and He separates the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. The Bible says that there's always this mixed condition. And so I speak to us, to us as Christians and I say, Live for Him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you put Him on at salvation, but put on His lifestyle. Love one another as I have loved you, He said. That's how you fulfill all the law. Uh, live a holy life, a pure life. I exhort us that way as Christians, and I also say that if you're here and you've never put on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to Him, wake up. Turn over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. I was sitting downtown in the car at the curb in downtown busyness, and there was a construction truck right beside me. And uh, Jess and I were sitting there in the front seat, and I was visiting with him, and the car started to shake, you know? And I said, what are they doing? Because they had the manhole open and they were signaling to the guy in the next manhole and there was a, you know, the engine was roaring and I thought, I knew they were putting some cable in or something underneath the street, but I couldn't believe that the whole car was shaking. And Jess said, Dad, you feel that? I said, yes, yeah, these guys here. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't know what they're doing, but, and we kept talking. And it was as if somebody was standing on our bumper and the car was going like this. I said, but what are they doing? <laughs> and Jess said, are you sure it's those guys? Said, yeah, trust me, son. <clears throat> the old man's been around the track a few more times than you. And uh, then I had this sensation of the pavement under the car being like jello. And I thought, wow, are those guys going to, are we going to have a sinkhole here? What are they doing under that street? <laughs> and you know, I was able to sit through 45 seconds of a wake-up call and just blame it on this construction truck. I should have seen them scrambling out of the holes going like this, you know, but I didn't. And uh, I just explained it away. A 6.8... Richter scale earthquake. It was just this truck here putting this cable in. And I think to myself, whoa, how capable we are of ignoring, not knowing the time we live in. And I'll tell you what, if you don't know Jesus Christ, salvation is not nearer to you. You are one day closer to eternal judgment. And Revelation 6, I opened the Bible class that next hour with this text.
Verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal. And the Bible, you see, doesn't just leave us in one big chronology. The Bible explains the chronology, the time, and it tells us of the specific times, the kairos. And he said there's coming a time. And Revelation tells us how this chronology is going to culminate. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Nobody. I don't care if you're the richest man in the world. Did you see ad nauseum almost that night? The replays of the different tapes? When God shakes the earth, it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or you're just a guy on the street working in a manhole. The rich, the commanders, the strong, the slave, the free man, it doesn't matter who you are. When God finally shakes the earth, when there's that great earthquake, when Jesus Christ returns, the day of opportunity is over. We must work while it is day, Jesus said, for night comes when no man can work. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Paul says, wake up. It's almost morning. The night is almost over. The day is at hand, the day of the Lord. And we as Christians, we look forward to that day. But I'll tell you, if you don't know Christ, it's not going to be day. It's going to be the day of the Lord is a day of terror. It's night. It's eternal darkness. Oh, come to Christ. Don't put him off. Don't think you can put him off another day. You don't know if you've got another day. Respond to Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll call, he takes you out of darkness and puts you in light, and he gives you life eternal, and then you have the joy of looking ahead to his return with joy and anticipation. And us who know him, oh, let's resolve to not just sluggard our way through life. Oh, no. If there are thistles and thorns overgrown, get to work on it. If your life is a chaotic mess to where you really can't find the Scripture in your mind because it's full of everything but the Scripture, clear it out. Get that hammer out where you can use it. Keep the sword handy. It's the sword of the Spirit. The day doesn't overtake us like a thief, he says in Thessalonians. We're going to look at some of these passages next time as we think about what should we specifically do? What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's going to be valuable instruction for us, but I say don't wait start now. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. 
A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We'd like to remind you that Abide in the Word only remains on this station through the generous contributions of listeners like you. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in this Bible teaching ministry? We'd love to have you join us. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. When you come to Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you're a new creature in Christ. The old things have been put away. Behold, new things have come. In other words, God sees us in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ positionally. But that doesn't keep the New Testament from regularly calling on us to put off the old suit of clothes and put on a new way of life. And the picture is quite simple. Our old lifestyle was characterized by a certain kind of living. And he says, put that off. Take that clothing off and put on a new way of life. Notice he says, lay aside the old and put on the new. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.